This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Candace Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Now we've got two very exciting guests on the show today from Terra Capital. We've got Jeremy Bond, the Chief Investment Officer, and Matthew Langsford, the Portfolio Manager. Now Terra Capital is a leading specialist investment manager in the global natural resources sector. They're renowned for delivering exceptional performance through their discipline management approach and extensive industry expertise. They really also do put their money where their mouth is as Jeremy is the largest investor in each of their funds. Which is so good to hear and one thing that we definitely look at for when we look at our fund managers for our clients' portfolios. Jeremy would be so happy with his performance, right? Because the Natural Resource Fund since 2010 has had an annual return of 15% and on a cumulative basis, 470.9%. Yes, you heard that right, over 400%. It's really impressive. As you'll hear from the chat with the guys today, we're going to be talking a lot about different companies that have caught their eye from future-facing commodities, traditional resource plays. So we're really excited to bring this episode to you. Now, before we jump into it, just a quick reminder, as always, our chat today is not considered personal advice, even though we are registered financial advisors at Shore and Partners. Please note the podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial product. Everything we're chatting about today is based on the facts known at the time, which is the 14th of February, 2023. Happy Valentine's Day. So welcome Jeremy Bond and Matthew Langsford to Talk Money to Me. Thanks very much for having us. Now we'd love to start our conversation by understanding who is behind Terra Capital and what funds do you guys manage? So I set up the business uh, in mid-2010. So we've had the fund, the the main fund, the the Global Natural Resource Fund running for almost 13 years. So I think we're one of the longest running resource funds in in Australia now. That that is the the original fund and the main fund and that that fund is Global Natural Resource Fund. So we we invest across commodities and across jurisdictions. Uh, And more recently, we set up a green metals fund as well, which, which... does the same sort of thing, but but doesn't invest in fossil fuels and, and gold and a couple of other commodities. It's equities only. We're long only, um, and and we're, we're for wholesale investors only. Okay, so wholesale investors only. I'm really excited to hear more about your green metals fund. That sounds really interesting. Absolutely. Um, so so we set that fund up 2020. You know, we we understand that there there obviously are. Some investors who don't want to invest in particular commodities, but also who want exposure to what are you know going to be and are the forward-facing commodities, and that will be the real beneficiaries of of the decarbonisation movement that we think is going to you know be a really strong thematic for the next couple of decades. 
Really glad you've said that because what we often talk about here on Talk Money to Me is the push, you know, for future-facing commodities, alternative renewable uh, energy solutions, and obviously the whole push for electrification and decarbonisation. So clearly you like the sector and you like the, you know, growing green sector as well. So can you tell us, just taking a step back, you know, because there's a lot of chat in the market what is going on with the market and there's all different sectors as we know so how is the current resource sector looking to you in terms of the cycle like are we at just the start or what's the state of play uh look so it's our view that we're obviously very early in the cycle commodity cycles tend to be long both both boom and bust cycles they tend to be you know at least a decade in duration and at its base level, that's really because it takes about a decade to build a mine. So we had a, a, a deep bear market from 2010 to 2020. Um, part of that, as, as a bear market, there was obviously no capital expenditure and, and no um, no capital available to, to build out supply. So we, we come into 2020 uh, with, with virtually every commodity severely supply constrained. And, and that really is the, the basis for, for the next bull market. We think that is the, the fundamental basis is, is the lack of supply. And that, that is across virtually every commodity. Um, so where are we in the cycle? Well, well, there hasn't been any real supply brought on since 2020. Therefore, we think we're incredibly early. If you look at the majors, BHP Rio and Glencore and others, they're, they're still very much in capital return mode. You know, most of their earnings go back to shareholders by way of buybacks or dividends. There's, there's not a lot of appetite on development. Um, the capital market's only just opened. So for most commodities, you know, the, the cupboard's still pretty bare. So to, to bring on supply in a lot of these commodities is going to take a long time. So until that happens, I think, you know, we're, we're in the early innings. Just to add to that, if... Um, we've, we've already had relatively strong commodity prices in a number of commodities since, you know, the end of 2020. And yet, uh, if, you, if you look at copper, for example, we've had already what you would normally consider to be incentive pricing for copper producers to bring on more copper supply. But because they've been not spending as much on um, developing new parts of the mine, um, of their existing mines or developing new mines for the past 10 years, they haven't been able to. And so, you know, even with those higher prices, there was no incremental supply brought on since late 2020. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's great that you're saying that because we actually also believe we're probably at the beginning of the cycle and really saying the same thing. We've said many times on our show that it's going to be near impossible to meet Paris's 2030 decarbonisation goals because there is not enough supply. There are not enough mines in production. Um, it's that comes back to that, uh, you know, that economic 101, supply and demand. Now, here in Australia, as we know, investors love resources and given our um, geographical position in the APAC region, uh, we obviously are quite reliant on China and China's policies. So do you see the recent China reopening uh, a good thing for Australian resources and doing future business with China? I guess, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I look, I think the China reopening story is, is obviously is, is a big one for the commodity markets. Um, if, we looked, if we look back at, at 2022, you know, it was actually proved to be a, a sort of a, a tough year for commodities, even though we're in a structural bull market. And and really, the, the major headwinds were with, with the lockdowns in China and, and I guess the, the high US dollar. So if you look at this year, 
you know, China reopening is, is obviously going to be a big boon for almost every commodity. I mean, they still are the biggest consumer of every commodity and in, in you know, iron ore, copper, the plus 50% consumers. So opening up is clearly going to make a difference from a demand side. Um, you've seen the Chinese money supply starting to go up. You know, this does tend to lead to commodity demand um, with, a, with a couple of months lag. So we would start to see that, you know, push through end of March, early April. Um, you know, there will be some stimulus. I don't think it's certainly not going to be anything like 2008, but, but you, you don't need a lot um, given, given how tight the markets are. And so, so our view is, yes, you, you're going to get a spike in consumption like you got in every other, every other country as they opened up. Plus there will be some... Um, some, some fiscal support. Uh, we've seen some, some policies around the property already come through and there'll be likely some infrastructure spend as well. So all in all, yeah, it, it's probably the biggest story, I guess, for the commodity market this year. Do you think that obviously the majors are actually paying out really large dividends? Do you think that probably needs to change in order to you know reinvest into the business to ensure that these 2030 decarbonisation goals are met? I mean, that's something that I kind of want to explore. What do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, look, I don't think it's going to change in the near term. I, I, I think I think a lot of the majors maybe are still a little bit scarred from you know the last boom, you know, where there was some some misallocation of capital across the board. Uh, you now have a shareholder base who you know has become quite accustomed to the the capital management that those companies have in place. It's going to it's hard to then ch- turn that ship around. So. Yeah, to the to the to the question, it, it definitely exacerbates the supply issues. It, it's definitely part of the thesis as to why we think commodity prices will need to be higher and will remain higher because there isn't going to be those large capital expenditure programs from these companies in the near term. Certainly, it appears at the moment the the idea to keep their pipelines intact is to is to make some M&A acquisitions and Oz Minerals being the, the most recent, I guess. We probably see that continuing, but you know, I, th- I think we're certainly at least a, f- a few years away from any discernible change in, in capital management, so. Okay, that's good to know for anyone who's investing for the dividend. Back on the China reopening, is there any particular company in your fund that you think will really benefit from this? I mean, the biggest beneficiary is probably from a, from a commodity perspective on, on China reopening a, a, a probably your iron ore, copper, and, and maybe met coal. In terms of met coal, I think that that's one. Uh, I guess that the the thawing relationship between China and Australia probably comes into play. You know, they are starting to buy Australian metallurgical coal again, which they hadn't done for a while. It doesn't really affect iron ore from that perspective because they they always sort of had to keep buying it anyway. Um, but but probably iron ore and, and copper are probably the two most immediate beneficiaries from a commodity perspective. I mean, for just, just a quick aside, I mean, we think that so there's, there's quite, we have, we have a focus on assets in first world jurisdictions. And, and I do think um, there's going to be a strategic premium put on some of those assets if, if they aren't tied to China, China. So, you know, the US is going to want to keep funding or help fund some of these assets. That, that aren't related to China. And so I think there, there is certainly from our side, you want to find you know, assets that aren't encumbered by, by Chinese offtakes or, or Chinese funding. And, and some of the funding packages now available through the Inflation Reduction Act and, and there's going to be the, the, the equivalent in Europe soon are, are going to be 
you know, really good funding packages. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you sort of touched on it, but maybe more if we could elaborate, the short-term issues that COPPA might be facing and then why would an investor think about it for the long duration in their portfolio? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, we're, we're super bullish COPPA on, on pretty much every time frame. I guess I'd caveat that by saying the very, very, very short <laughs> in the very, very near term. I do think probably that the, the copper price and maybe some of the copper equities maybe ran a little hard in, into the China reopening story and probably got ahead of the actual fundamental demand. Um, but, you know, that that's a, in the very, very short term. On every other basis, that commodity is severely supply constrained. So... You know, I think if you, if you look at Wood Mackenzie, I think they have the copper market going into deficit this year, uh, certainly next year. I think most banks have it by next year to the point by 2030 where, you know, you're, you're severely, you're in a severe deficit that you'd need, you know, I think it's close to 70 or 80, 70 to 100 new mines to come online. And then you look at like how how easy that will be. And, and you know, if, if you sort of understand the dynamics of that market, you know, it's virtually impossible. There hasn't been those discoveries or there isn't that pipeline of projects. Uh, you know, even in even where we are now, you know, the two of the biggest or the, the two biggest um, copper, copper mines in the world continue to have problems, continued problems. Um, the biggest producer of copper in the world, Chile, continues to see its production go down quarter on quarter. So, you know, and when we are making these these large copper discoveries, they're not in easy jurisdictions, you know, they're in South America or, you know, Mongolia or, you know, places where, where it's it's not super easy to find, to, to sorry, to build these mines. So you're, you're not seeing these discoveries in, in WA anymore or in, you know, Canada or other places like that. They're, they're in challenging jurisdictions. So the copper market is, no matter which way you look at it, is... is is severely supply constrained. I think just to add to that, copper is a bit different. While it is a future-facing commodity, it is a commodity that miners have been searching for for the past 150 years. You know, so all the big um, high-grade deposits that are close to surface and near infrastructure, you know, they're long gone. And so it's going to more far-flung jurisdictions to, to find those, which which is inevitably more difficult or you know, maybe they're in more environmentally sensitive areas, so the permitting process takes longer, and it just it just adds to to the tightness in the market and how long it will be until new supply comes. Just also, with China effectively in a recession for two years, being being locked down in various stages of lockdown over 2021 and 2022, you know, key indicator of how tight that copper market was, was the fact that the copper price remained relatively robust, even with the largest consumer of copper globally, in effect, being locked down. Yeah. And so we've definitely touched on the supply issue. I just want to quickly wrap it up here on the demand side, because we know, you know, obviously advisors in the industry, we know it's a super important commodity for the future of EV, decarbonisation and cleaner energy technologies. But for the, for the layman potential um, commodity listener, just walk us through the demand that you see now and increasing over the next five, 10 years. And I guess what would be your top idea that you can disclose in copper? So copper obviously is used in every facet of electrification, I guess, it is the, the conduit for, for electricity. So name any renewable or EV or anything, you know, it's, it's going to include copper um, in it. So I, I think from, from that point of view, it's sort of relatively obvious we can't electrify society without the, um, 
with it without copper to do that. And there isn't really substitutes that there is around the edges, but but it's not something that is is going to be substituted in, in any meaningful way. Um, in terms of how we play that within the fund, I mean, typically the way we run our fund exposure, uh, we we are we're all cap in terms of the, the the market caps we look at. So we typically rely on one or two producers, one or two developers, and and, and maybe a couple of exploration companies. I must admit, most of our exposure is expressed in North America rather than Australia. I mean, Australia, it, it, there's not a heap of options, and particularly with those minerals going, there's even less now. So, you know, the, and, and I think that probably talks to how the, the copper supply story as well is that the, the, there's not many places to invest in it. So some of the bigger companies and, and maybe some of the better producers uh, are maybe listed in, in Canada or North America, and we, we tend to tend to own those. What is, uh, I guess, one of your top ideas then in the copper space? In terms of uh, pro- probably our, our favourite copper name is actually a developer. Um, it's a company called Foran Mining. It's listed in Canada. They're developing a polymetallic deposit uh, in Saskatchewan. What we like about this this company is, is it's got A-grade management team. So Dan Myerson, the, the executive chairman, was, you know, former Glencore, um, took over, took control of the company. He, he's, he's drilled it out. The assets got much bigger than it was before. They found a, a significant um, discovery next door to the original asset that when he took control of the company. But also he's committed to building the mine to be carbon neutral. So, you know, the power comes from hydro, the uh, fleet is electric, you know, there's energy-efficient cladding on the buildings. And this is super important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, his operating costs will come down because the power is cheap. And in Canada, there's a carbon tax, so he won't be paying that carbon tax. Second of all, and this has really come to the fore, I guess, uh, last year, was that his funding options have been significantly widened by being carbon neutral. So, you know, he, he raised... $500 million or got commitments of $500 million last year and what was a pretty tough, uh, tough market, um, including, you know, $200 million from the Ontario Pen- uh, Teachers' Pension Plan at double the share price. So that was equity at double the price. Um, he got $100 million from Prem Watts' Fair, uh, Fairfax Fund earlier in the year and again at a premium and and he's received some, some debt from Sprott. So, you know, I think that's, if, if we look at development companies, that's, the, the sort of the, the poster child of, of how these things should look. There's permitting's flying through at a, at a, a really good rate because, you know, the, the government's supportive of, of, of how they're building that mine out. And so, you know, you can't, you, you can't build, existing mine can't be carbon neutral, but, you know, certainly you can't retrofit a mine to be carbon neutral, but certainly you can build one out to be carbon neutral. And, and so that's probably one we like for a bunch of different reasons. Okay, great. So we've got our first investable idea here. So what's the code for that stock? Uh, FOM. FOM. All right. Awesome. Now, what's really interesting, right, is copper doesn't have as much love and as much hype like lithium does. That's quite interesting. Do you have any comments on that and why you think that is? Uh, It sounds weird, but there's just less ways to play it. (laughs) There's there's just like if you look at, say you look at the Australian the Australian market, you know, there's what, two or three producers, a couple of developers and, and and not even that many exploration companies. And yet you look at lithium and even though, you know, that commodity has only really been in demand for, I guess, the last, call it five, six, seven years, your, your, your options to invest are 
quite a bit larger than there's hundreds of juniors. It hits the retail, lithium sort of hits the retail zeitgeist a little bit better than copper, but I think just the option, the, the, the fact that there's so many options is makes it more appealing as well. Added to that, I guess there have been, has been a, a really strong spike in the lithium price yes. over, the, over the past 18 months. So, you know, that really draws people's attention to the sector. Even though, I mean, copper recently nearly touched all-time highs and in, in the back end of 2020, early 2021, you know, there was there was a bit of a movement to copper. I, I think in the next year, two years, three years, we do see record prices in copper again and, and, and that will come back around. So, you know, there's potentially the option now for people to be looking at that sector, which is a little out of favour, which is when you want to be buying some of these sectors. I guess another hot commodity that we're all hearing about is uranium. So you've got Paladin, DPLO, which was previously Vimy, and we spoke about that on the show, Boss, as well as Lotus. And then one of our favourites is Silex, so the uranium enrichment. Now, prices for uranium has increased 167% for UF6 and over 1,000% for SWU last year, largely due to the Russian-Ukraine conflict. Um, You know, how reliant is this sector on Russia and what exactly is involved for the West to move away from Russian contracts? Good question again and an interesting sector and one that we've been invested in for the better part of five years I guess. Um, the, the uranium sector is incredibly reliant on Russia. I think it's it's 40% of uh, enrichment depending on which numbers you look at, 30 odd percent of conversion and, and even a bit of you know six or ten percent of uranium supply. So very reliant and I think because of how reliant the West is on Russia is the exact reason why there haven't been sanctions put in place already because there's, there just aren't other options. Earlier this year, we saw Convidine, the, the American company, get a grant for and they'll be involved in conversion and they'll restart mid-year. So that will take a little bit of the pressure off, off global conversion capacity. Um, and then I think once that bottleneck is removed, I think then the the focus shifts to to um, uranium production U three O eight, which you know already we're seeing or we're seeing reports of higher tail assays being requested by utilities, which means that more uranium needs to be fed into the into the process to to come to your enriched uranium, um, which which then in turn means that you need you know up to twenty it adds about twenty percent of demand to to the global uh, uranium market. So, so it is a super interesting time. There's, a, I guess, a coalescence of factors we think that, that are coming together now um, in terms of, you know, the long-term story, which is about, uh, you know, a shift in, in power generation. And so you're seeing those extensions and expansions of nuclear reactor fleets on top of China and India, which have a, a build-out plan. We've got the emergence of the small modular reactors and, and their approvals, which is occurring too. Um, and, and then also the, the um, story of utilities needing to, to contract more, which which did happen a bit in 2022, but but more of that does need to happen. Um, and, and that's coming together with the, with the more financial market story, which involves Yellowcake, who have bought 1.35 million pounds of uranium just recently and, and Sprott have bought 
1.5 million pounds, I think, already this year in in the physical market. So so you've got the short term, I guess, physical market squeeze, and then the longer term power generation uh, story coming together. So yeah, we we think it's a, a super exciting space. So you know, you've listed a lot of different catalysts for uranium. Um, do you have a top? pick in this space yeah i mean we, we hold silex you mentioned silex before we we do hold that in in our green metals fund excellent i've held it for ages i've been very lucky i have a very low cost space yeah you must must have done well yeah so far so good yeah and and i think you know just as they progress and and potentially we see the investment from cameco i think there are a number of catalysts there which are which are very exciting um it's already performed well but i mean if you look at the last cycle it it still has potentially a fair way to run. You know, the best undeveloped uranium asset and and indeed one of the best undeveloped metals and mining assets of any commodity is held by Canada's next-gen in the Athabasca Basin. They're listed on both the ASX and the TSX. We really like next gen as well. So you've kind of just reiterated some of the companies that we're already investing in for our clients and have been personally also. So in a moment, we're going to hear more about other commodities Terra Capital are investing in, as well as other areas of the resource sector that they're potentially avoiding. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So we've covered a lot with the guys so far. You know, we've spoken about copper and uranium, but I would love to hear if there's any other commodities that are, in your words, you know, underrated and perhaps might have a better 2023, you know, go in the markets. One thing that comes to my mind is gold. Had a terrible time in 2022, as we all know, but there seems to be a lot of M&A happening in the space right now. And I'm thinking of the recent Newcrest announcement. So, is that one that you're liking or is anyone else coming to mind in terms of an underrated commodity for this year? Yeah, look, we, we have decent gold exposure within the fund. It, it, as you say, it was, was a tough year last year. And we'd like to think if the US sort of gets to the end of that rate rise cycle and that US dollar starts to or continues to, to, to sort of fall, then that's obviously sh- should be quite bullish for gold. Uh, the, you know, you've seen the biggest central bank buying in gold for I think maybe ever in the last in the last half, which is which is great. But to, to really get that commodity moving, you probably do need the ETF flows. Um, they haven't really happened yet. You haven't really had that retail buying yet. We're, we're cautiously optimistic on gold. Um, in terms of maybe some other commodities that I mean some someone some commodities maybe the people hadn't thought of. I think I quite like tin, um, which is a very small 
a commodity market and there's not many ways to play it, but you know, the market's tight. You've seen you know, supply come out of Peru. You've seen the supply you know, coming to an end in Myanmar. You know, Indonesia is probably um, not going to provide the, be, be a supply, be the supply that once was. So there's reason, in a small market, I think that has the capacity to, to go up you know, quite quickly. I mean, from the battery metals, you know, lithium's continued to keep performing really well. I'd be surprised if the price remained where it is now, but, you know, it doesn't need, it can come off and, and still be fantastic for the producers. And, you know, I, th- I quite like graphite too. I mean, I, I think that's that's probably a, a commodity that people don't talk about too much, um, but, you know, it is a critical component of, of any battery. And, the supply is, again, there isn't a ton of supply out there. So that, that's one I think that, that could be interesting. Is graphite a similar uh, supply issue as copper in tougher jurisdictions? Yeah, they're, they're different. I mean, they're supply constrained, but they're probably a little bit different. I mean, you're not going to see, you're not seeing a lack of huge discoveries. It, it's just that they're not super easy. You know, I mean, Syra is a is a large has a large graphite deposit, but even though it's got a very large graphite deposit and could notionally supply a decent amount of the market, it's it's had technical issues which have prevented it from from doing that. So I guess it's it's not the same as copper. It's supply constrained for maybe different reasons. Yeah, just just to add to that, graphite is a relatively geologically abundant commodity. It's more so that the global expertise for processing the material and getting it into the form required to, to go into the anode requires te- technical expertise that the West just doesn't have. And so although there are a lot of Western line uh, companies that have plans, they don't have the experience, which is which is something that we look out for in, the, in oh, I mean, every mining, every commodity, but, but particularly graphite. All right, so on the flip side, what areas of the commodity sector are you potentially avoiding and why? And then I've got a follow-up question here. could be a little bit cheeky. We know that you don't short companies, but if you could short one, what would it be and why? You don't need to name it. You could just potentially describe it. Yeah, uh, no problem. As I said, we don't short, but, I mean, there's obviously parts of the market that we don't own, so I guess that's a proxy for, for shorting. And uh Look, I, th- I think I think if you looked out at the Aussie gold sector at the moment, that I mean, the last quarterly reporting was pretty poor. I mean, the, the, there's not many of them that are making very good money, and so particularly, at, uh, you know, with with assets in Western Australia, still you've got labour issues and and costs are still incredibly high. I think I think if you're looking out then at, at companies to avoid. You know, if you happen to be maybe building a gold mine in WA at the moment, and you've taken on leverage to do so, well, that's probably you've probably got the biggest chance of of being caught short. And so, there's a, a few, I guess, developers out there that I would suggest could be quite tight um, on capital, and maybe would have to go back to the market. That's probably ones we'd avoid. Um, you know, lithium, there's some, some developers in the lithium space that have quite heroic valuations, but, you know, they so far haven't necessarily been a good place to bet against, I guess, but that they are, some of those are priced to perfection. Um, so we're talking non-producers here. Some of them are priced 
to perfection. So if the lithium price came off, then, then I guess they'd be susceptible as well. Okay. So I just want to quickly circle back to the EV rollout and in most importantly, ESG, which is getting a lot of traction in the media, right? And it's really important. Uh, and we're a big believer out here on Talk Money to Me. But from your perspective, because you talk to the companies on a day-to-day basis, how are you seeing the ESG movement impact the funding of mines? As I think we mentioned, there's still a, a fundamental paradox, I guess, uh, when it comes to the, the ESG movement in, in that everyone understands that you need to build out mines to provide the commodities to, to, to sort of get us to that that carbon uh, zero, those, those targets. However, most people don't really want the mines in their backyard. So we're still struggling with permitting and it, it, it's, it's still not easy to build out these mines and therefore that is exacerbating the supply constraints. So we still think that paradox exists. Having said all that, I, I think the West does have um, an understanding that they've been caught flat-footed by China in terms of tying up supply, particularly for battery co- commodities. I mean, China, whether it's at you know the uh, t- a control supply, whether it's at the mine or it's at the upstream of the processing, uh, in, in many commodities they're, they're, they're the dominant player. Um, the, U- the West, and particularly the US, understands this and and so i think you're seeing in the inflation reduction act and and the u.s defense department they are starting to try and address that and and help companies to build out uh, provide grants or or loans or financial packages to help build out some of those mines so i think there's you know there's going to be a premium put on assets in those jurisdictions and the funding will get easier than it has been before but at the moment that's this we still have the paradox of it's still hard to build a mine even though it's to help get you know to to the 2050 targets. Yeah, it's, it's just such a, a massive amount of investment that needs to occur, even by 2032, say, if we're going to get on the right trajectory to meet those targets. And 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 going back, I guess, to the cycle as well, you know, in the 2000s, China spent 10 US, 10 trillion US dollars on their infrastructure build-out, which drove the last commodities cycle. And uh, so in, in today's dollars terms, I guess you could call that 15 or $16 trillion. Um, Goldman Sachs estimate by 2032 that you need, that $56 trillion would need to be spent if we're going to, if we're going to hit the targets. So it's, so it's a multiple of what was spent and, you know, 56 trillion versus 16 is, it, there's a massive difference there. But even if, say we got half of the, that 56 trillion, it's still a massive impact on commodity markets. If, if, if we're going to get, if we're going to get um, to those net zero targets, if you could pick one company each to invest in the resource sector in the next ten years, what would it be and why? I, I like I like Glencore because it's it's a bigger company, but it does have um, a, a lot of a lot of the forward facing commodity exposure and some of the best commodity exposure there. It, it's it's a good company. You know, you've got great copper, nickel, cobalt, zinc. And you do have some thermal coal, but other than that, I'm going to go Glencore. Yeah, and Glencore. All right, Jeremy's Glencore. Matt, what are you? My my pick is Foran. I mean, there's there's a reason why it's the the big one of the biggest positions in our fund. You know that they've got not only an exceptional uh, development asset already, but they've also got significant exploration alongside where where they are. They're surrounded by some other large copper miners. I just I just think it's a great story and very, very well run company in terms of the management team, which is one of our, that's 
our main screen. Okay, so we had Glencore and FOM, 4M, right? 4M Mining. That's it. Perfect. Before we let you shoot off, we just ask one question to all of our special guests. You ready? It's a really tough one. Really important. Coffee, tea or tequila? What's your preference? <laughs> what time of the day is yeah, it? Yeah, I tend to have tea, then coffee, then tequila if I'm going to be in <laughs> Love it. That's it. How good's that? That's a good answer. Very good. Well, thank you, Jeremy and Matthew, for speaking with us today. That was really great. Um, and we look forward to far- following Terra Capital. Thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Now, before we sign off, please remember, although Felicity and I are financial advisors at Shore and Partners, and obviously we spoke a lot about different companies in the resource sector, this discussion today does not constitute as personal financial advice. As always, you should seek professional financial advice before you make your investment decisions. All of the company details and the facts and all the market information was based on the time of recording, which was the 14th of February. Wow. So if you want to hear and follow more about Terra Capital, you can find out information on their website, which is www.terracapital.com.au. Make sure you follow us on at Talk Money to Me podcast for daily market updates and again if you enjoyed this podcast please make sure you give us a five-star review on apple podcast or spotify and remember if you've got any questions you can email us tmtm at equitymates.com we'll be back next week until next time see you then talk money to me is a product of equity mates media all information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.